of heights to the depths of the sea. When I have sounded out my Father, and what that phrase means is when I've searched him out. That's really what it means. When I've examined him and searched out my Father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward you, David, and I do not send you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. You are amazing. God. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, When I have sounded out my father. Jonathan was determined to find out his father's heart and report it to David to let him know if it is good or bad towards him. Jonathan knows that if his father Saul intended evil against David, it meant that David must go away and will not be welcome again in the palace or be safe at home. Jonathan wanted to give David more than a warning, so he also gave him encouragement by reminding him that he can be sure that the Lord will be with him. Now here's Pastor Rob. You can love people. Trust is earned. I remember somebody telling me, well, you got to trust me. You're a Christian. And I said, yeah, I am a Christian, and I don't trust you. I don't even know who you are. And I'm supposed to just, as a default, trust you? No. Trust comes with time. Trust is earned. No matter what. Trust is earned. It doesn't mean I can't help somebody out when I don't know them. That's not what I'm talking about. When somebody says, well, you have to trust me. I know I don't have to trust you. I don't. I trust God. (laughs) Make that your thing, too. I don't mean to be cold or indifferent, but it's the truth. There's a a verse in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. We don't know what's in another man or a woman's heart. We're not capable of knowing. That's why we've got to be careful not to judge and assume that we know something about somebody else, no matter how much information we got, because a lot of times we make judgments upon very little information, and one little piece of information can change everything. So how careful do we need to be in the church? with each other. Do you realize how many churches have fallen apart and have been separated? You know, huge chunks of people, you know, being removed from a church because they got angry because somebody judged them or said something harsh about them and they came to a different judgment and they and they and it happens all the time. It happens in every church by the way because we're human. And unfortunately, sometimes we're not very spiritual. <laughs> we're not really in tune with the Lord, but the more in tune we are with him, the less that stuff will happen. So 
Let's all learn something by that. And there's also something in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord answers the question. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I'm the one who tests the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. How could Jonathan know his father? Like God knows him. He was still perplexed that he was coming after David. He couldn't understand it. No, that can't be true. Dad, really? King? Jonathan was a good man. He was naive. He was much older than David, too. But he was a naive man. But he was a good man. He was a very good man. He wasn't the kind of guy who plumbed the depths of wickedness like his father I love what it says in Titus 1.15, To the pure, all things are pure. I like that. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. You know, it's, have you been around somebody where every little thing that, um, you know, you could be looking at a piece of fruit and they would automatically be thinking something filthy? Or you, you could do, be out anywhere and their, their mind is always in the gutter. And so they interpret everything from the gutter. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've been around people like I've been one of those people, but I've been around people like that. And, be, and it's because of this, this verse. To the pure, all things are pure. Jonathan had a pure heart. He couldn't believe that his dad was like this. And you and I, we, don't, we always try to look at the best of people, and especially if your heart is pure. And that's a really wonderful thing, honestly. I'd rather think the best of people than think the most evil things. I think God would have us view people that way, but always be on your guard, right? We're supposed to be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. And we have to be discerning. So verse 3, it says, Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your sight. And, and, and finally, you know, David says, Truly as the Lord lives, there, there is but a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And I, I think of that. I think of what an amazing relationship these two men had. A really amazing, again, very rare. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. But a friend loves at all times. Have you had a friend like that, like Jonathan? Ladies, have you had a girlfriend like Jonathan? Guys, have you had a, a friend like that? Is willing to do anything. They're willing to do all things. A friend loves at all times. A true friend is somebody like Jonathan who, when David was on his mountaintop, he was right there with him, congratulating him and, and enjoying the victory of the slaying of Goliath. And when David was in the depths and he was completely despondent and, and in fear and, and lying to cover things up, he would be right there with him. He would be right there with him. And see, that's what a friend does. A friend, a friend loves at all times, not just when things are going well. And boy, does that really challenge me about the type of person that I should be. In Proverbs eighteen twenty four, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and certainly Jonathan was one of those men for David. His own brothers didn't care about him at this time. And later on, David would even have his brothers in his cabinet. Did you know that? 
Later on, David would have his older brothers, his older brothers, serving in the kingdom in Judah when he finally becomes king. And what grace when his father, when when his brothers ridiculed him. But yet Saul's son, Jonathan, the heir apparent to the throne, the one who could jeopardize his own, you know, by, by normal ways of doing things, he would be the next king once Saul died. But Jonathan didn't care about the throne. He knew who the throne belonged to. It belonged to David. And boy, that's, that really fried Saul. So David said, verse 5, to, David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. This idea of the, of the new moon, it was, a, it was a feast that they would have. They would have burnt offerings. Um, you can look at Numbers 28, verses 11 through 15, and it kind of details what, this, the, what that, that offering is and what that feast is. It's, and uh, it goes into it there, but basically they're, they're sacrificing uh, bulls and lambs and, um, and, and drink offerings. But notice, until the third day at evening, but let me go, David says, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. And when I think of the third day, what do you think of? Just coming off of of Resurrection Sunday, I think of Jesus on the cross and the victory that he obtained on the cross. He alone has the keys of death and Hades. He He was victorious over those things on the third day. And while it was a victory for Jesus, it's also going to be a victory for David, as we're going to see in this chapter. But it's going to look a little different. David would learn that through all the relationships that he had, that the Lord was the only one, his only only Savior. And what a great place it is to come to a place where you realize that all my help, my only help, comes from God. That is a victory, folks, because forever we are trying to prove that we don't need God and we rely upon the arm of the flesh. And sometimes that's our own human beings, our own fellow brothers and sisters. But see, we are pale in comparison to Jesus. While it is good for us to help our brothers and sisters, it is good. There are times when they are seeking for our help and the the place that they really need to be is at the throne themselves. They'll, they'll seek you out, and they'll cling to you, but the one they really need to be seeking out and clinging to is Jesus. And it can get unhealthy when a brother or sister attaches to you, and you are Jesus to them. Everything you say is like, oh, I need your help. I just need your help. And you're like, hey, listen, listen, go to the Lord. No, I need you. I need you. You, you know, you're the one I call at midnight and talk to till 3 in the morning. You're the one who I, you know, I, you know, I dream about. I, you know, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. These things happen. But what they need is not you. They don't need you and me. They need Jesus. Always point them to him and get out of the way. Otherwise, you're gonna, they're going to put up candles next to you. And trust me, none of us are that holy, including myself. I'll be the first one to say that. There's no one like Jesus. No one like him. He just loves us. So it's going to be a victory for David because he's going to learn that lesson. And, you know, even though none of us would choose to go into the depths and and go through this hardship, God will often bring his servants and saints to these places to get us to focus on him. And why? So that we might grow. 
The way to growth and victory is often through pain and hardship. I know that to be true in my own life. I always, I find myself growing more when I've been in the furnace of affliction. When everything around me is just caving in on me and it drives me to my carpet on my floor and I'm, and I'm crying convulsively and I'm asking God to help because I don't have a clue of what's going on. I don't have a clue of how to get out of it. I want to get out of it. I don't even know how to get out of it. It's too much for me. How many Psalms have been written by David as he was being hunted by Saul? Some of the best literature, some of the best worship songs have been written when he was running for his life from a madman. The way to growth and victory is often through pain and hardship. But notice in verse 6, If your father misses me at all, uh, David says to Jonathan, Then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. There is no record in the scripture that David actually went to Bethlehem for the sacrifice. It could be that he did go. We don't know for sure. We can't be dogmatic about it. But I find it interesting that David here is very possibly lying. He's very possibly telling Jonathan to lie to the king. Lie to him. Tell him I went to Bethlehem. And, you know, Jonathan probably, you know, I don't know, you know, this is a funny thing between people who love each other. Sometimes they'll, they'll lie to, to, to help you, you know. But we've got to be really careful about that. But notice that because of David's fear, which is certainly warranted, he may have encouraged Jonathan to do the same things. And isn't it true that when people, when we are in a great distress, we often do some pretty strange things? Have you done strange things when you're under a lot of duress, when you're under a lot of stress? I know I have. Why? Because we don't know ourselves like we think we do. And then we get into a situation, we find us doing things, and then afterwards you're thinking, you're like, what was I thinking? Why did I respond that way? Why did I do that? See, when we are in distress or feel threatened or pressed to do something quickly, this is when we need to be especially careful. The devil loves these situations for Christians. That's one of his greatest traps. Do it now! You gotta do it now! You gotta make a decision now! You're gonna die if you don't make up your decision now! Have you been in a situation like that? Even Christians telling you, you gotta do it, you gotta make the decision now. You got people, family, wives, kids screaming, you gotta make the decision now. And you're like, no, I'm not gonna make the decision now. Let me pray for heaven's sake, but it'll never come back again. You'll miss the opportunity. Well, if it's God's will, He's gonna bring it back. Do you believe that? I do. I mean, don't get me wrong, if your daughter is standing in the street and there's a bus coming, by all means. Get her out of the street. Don't wait. I'll pray about that and find out if it's a good idea. No, you go and rescue your daughter. But there's times when we're not in situations like that, but yet the devil loves to get us to make the decisions now because then he traps us. And he does it all the time. He does it with people in the world. They don't think. They don't pray. They just do. And then the bill comes due, and they're like, oh, I'll just put it on my credit card. I'll just pay for it this way. I'll get rid of it this way. And then, then they're enslaved to that. And then they've got to do something else. And then, they do, and then pretty new, you're, you're just tied in the knot. You're like a ball of yarn that the devil's playing with like a cat. The devil loves to get us to do this. But we'll see that this won't be the last time David lies to get out of a situation. And, and I love the fact how honest the scripture is. 
It doesn't tell us that, you know, David was this wonderful, honest man all the time. It tells us the reality of who he was. And yet he was chosen by God, even in his adultery and murder. God, you know, you'd think that he would be done with. That God would say, you know what, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. And, and yet God, in his grace, still allows him. He forgives him, and, and David repents. That's a, that's a big difference, folks. Do you understand? It's not the mistakes that we make. It's not the things that happen. It's what you do with it. Do you continue in the sin, or do you repent of the sin? If you repent of the sin, then you've learned something. Then that wasn't for naught. You know what I mean? And see, David was one of those individuals. When he made a mistake, he, he owned it, he repented of it, and that's how God could use him. When Saul made a mistake, he just continued per, 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 you know, perpetual kind of thing, is, and it just kept getting the better of him. Kept getting the better of him. But verse 7, it says, If he says, it is well, your servant will be made safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. And so, this is sort of like a fleece that, they, that David and Jonathan throw out to one another. If he says this, then we'll know that everything's okay. If he does this, then that means something else. When in reality, they really don't know for sure, but they're, they're taking some pretty, guess, some pretty good guesses. I wouldn't encourage fleeces, by the way. If you're the type of person who's, who does that often, God allowed it in a couple, a couple instances in people's life to bolster their faith when it was kind of weak. You know, but some people make this kind of thing as something they do all the time. I, I would discourage you to do that. Just trust the Lord and ask him. And you may have to step out in faith and, and, and pray and seek him. So verse 8, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, Jonathan, David says, then kill me yourself, or why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for I, if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't I have told you, David? And again, what great love between these two men. I mean, David, Jonathan has everything to gain if David goes away, or so he thinks. But Jonathan knew that the, th- it, it, the throne didn't belong to him. He knew that even his father, it really didn't belong to him either. Genesis 49 verse 10 says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. It didn't say the scepter won't depart from Benjamin. Saul is a Benjamite. Jonathan is a Benjamite. No, it was to Judah and David So therefore, in verse 9, he says, But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by you, wouldn't I tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And, and we're going to see here in verse 11 through verse 23 uh, another vow or a covenant that David and Jonathan are going to enter into. They make three covenants in their relationship with each other. The first one was in chapter 18 in verses 1 through 4, where after David slew Goliath, David and Jonathan's heart were knit together. They were both men of faith. David admired, or Jonathan admired David so much so, and they made a covenant with each other. And we're going to see another covenant here in verses 11 through 23. And then later on in in chapter 23, the very last time that they meet together, and it was by chance, well, I say chance with an asterisk. It wasn't, they didn't know that that would happen. That they make another vow, just reestablishing what they had said before. But in verse 11, it says, Jonathan said to David, Come and let us go into the field. So both of them went into the field, and Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness, 
When I have sounded out my Father, and what that phrase means is when I've searched him out. That's really what it means. When I've examined him and searched out my Father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward you, David, and I do not send you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my Father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he was with my Father. And so... And you shall not only, not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still yet live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And this is interesting. So he's saying, David, we're going to part. We're probably never going to see each other again. But if we do... Don't be my enemy. I'm not going to be your enemy. And in fact, whatever happens, tell me that you'll take care of my family, that you won't go after them and kill them all, which is typical for kings. When a a, a new king comes in town, he wipes out the old family. That's very common. He's saying, David, don't do it. And David said, I won't do it. I won't do it, Jonathan. And we're going to see later on in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David follows through on that promise. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, you remember? And when he was young, when he was five years old, and we haven't gotten to this event yet in the book of, um, of Samuel, but later on in chapter 31, Saul and Jonathan are going to die in battle. And Mephibosheth was five years old at the time. And the nurse was holding uh, Mephibosheth, and when they heard news that Jonathan and Saul had died, his father and his grandfather, she got up to run with him, and she dropped him, and it must have broke his leg or did something so much so that he became lame, and he couldn't walk again. But David, in 2 Samuel 9, he takes care of Mephibosheth. He, he comes through with this promise, that, this oath that he made with Jonathan. And he not only did that, but he let him eat. Mephibosheth would eat at David's own table. He would restore his family's land to him, provide him with servants to take care of his crops and and take care of him. And again, what a wonderful character David had. Wonderful character. And I love that. Let us be people who are true to our word. There used to be a day when a word between two men or two women that would be their bond. That, that there, wouldn't, there wouldn't even be need for contracts. A man could look at another man and shake his hand in the presence of a couple people, or even without uh, uh, in the presence, and it would be done. And they would follow through on that. Not anymore. We become such vile truce breakers. The devil has created havoc in the human race. That's why it's necessary. It's, it's needful. We must be born again because that's who we are outside of Christ, a bunch of rebels. Rebels. And I was one of them. I remember my old life. I remember the way I was. Do anything to get ahead. Such were some of us. Amen. So Jonathan, verse 16, made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And so now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, and he he loved him as he loved his own soul. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says this about their friendship, about the love they had. 
It was a song that David wrote when Jonathan and Saul died, and part of it was uh, in verse 26 of 2 Samuel 1. It says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. This is David's song. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. That's pretty extravagant. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.